somewhere between 40,000 years ago and 30,000 years ago, humanity experienced something for the very first time. This was an era in the development of humanity where we were still a relatively nomadic people, that hunter-gatherer area. Humanity at the time was also still experiencing the Ice Age, and ice and snow covered the face of the planet as groups of humans moved across the face of the earth to different places in search of food and shelter and all the things that we need in order to sustain life. The thing that happened for the very first time was that an animal species moved from the wild category to the domestic category. There was only one species of animal that moved from wild to domestic during this particular era of human development. All other domesticated animals are domesticated during the period of human development when we're engaging agriculture and we're tilling the land. That's when we get the pigs and the sheep and the goats and the cattle. But in between 40,000 years ago and 30,000 years ago, humanity began to cooperate and collaborate with the canine species. Scientists are not in agreement about where this began to happen first, but we can look at two different places, either Central Asia or Eastern Europe, or perhaps both at the same time, human beings and dogs got together and began to form a thousands, tens of thousands of year relationship. If we were to fast forward the clock 15,000 years, archaeologists would discover 14,000 years ago that they have found burial sites where humans and dogs are laid to rest together. So some 15,000 years ago, we find that humanity's best friend becomes the canine species. Now some of you are scratching your heads and wondering why a priest on Christmas Eve of all times of the year is talking about the domestication of the canine species. I mention this because I want you to know something about the story of Christmas itself. The story of Christmas is a wolf, not a Pomeranian. When you and I inherit the story as we inherit it these 2,000 years later in a church, in the warmth of a church on Christmas Eve, we hear a story that is thoroughly domesticated 
over the course of the centuries. But this story, this Christmas story, let me assure you, is a wolf, not a Pomeranian. If we have the opportunity tonight, and let's do it right now, let's try to look at this story with fresh eyes. Let's try to hear it with undomesticated ears. And let's try to receive it with wild and open hearts. Luke's nativity narrative begins almost at verse 1, chapter 1 of Luke's gospel. What we hear in the very first beat of the Christmas story, and remember, this is a wild story, the very first beat of the Christmas story has a cosmic winged, fiery angel we call Gabriel come to visit an old priest named Zechariah in the holy of the holies of the temple. The angel, this winged cosmic beast, comes to the most sacred site on the face of the globe to meet an old priest who has the great privilege of going into the Holy of Holies all by himself to make a sacrifice to the Lord. It was one of those places where when the priest would walk in, he would tie a rope around his waist as he entered just in case something happened and his friends could pull him out and rescue him. It's a wild story. The message that the angel Gabriel brings to Zechariah is even crazier. He tells this elderly priest that in fact his elderly wife Elizabeth will become pregnant. Elizabeth has been barren for her entire adult life. The child that Elizabeth and Zechariah had wished for and wanted all throughout their adult life together never showed up on the scene. And in a moment, in their elderly state, an angel comes to Zechariah and says, your wife will become pregnant with a child. And not just any child, right? This is a wild story Your child will be sacred. As your child grows, he will become popular and he will lead Israel in the very beginnings of a spiritual reformation, drawing people out of the pews of the temple into the stark wilderness of the desert where they will be met with a renewed and vigorous spiritual strength. Your son will be so profoundly sacred that no intoxicating substance will ever touch his lips. He will be sustained in the wilderness, not by cheeseburgers, but rather by locusts and wild honey. And oh yeah, Zechariah, Gabriel adds, oh yeah, he won't be named Junior, 
he'll be named John. In this cosmic, crazy, wild moment, as Zechariah receives this story, to make the story even crazier, he's struck dumb, unable to speak, unable to share the story with the cohort of clergy that await him as he reemerges back into the grand part of the temple. They only know that something wild has happened because Zechariah is able to gesticulate in such a way that they get an inkling that something amazing has happened. The next beat of this wild, wolfy story has Gabriel appearing once again, but not in the Holy of Holies. And you know, in the interest of transparency, I would say, if one were to meet an angel, not just an angel, if one were to meet an archangel, it would probably be under the circumstances that Zechariah finds himself in, right? An old seasoned priest sitting in the Holy of Holies. Where else would an angel come? In the next beat of this story, the angel Gabriel appears to a teenaged girl named Mary. Mary somewhere between the age of 14 and 16 is promised in marriage to a man named Joseph. And the angel greets her with greetings, favored one. The news that Gabriel brings this young woman is that she, she amongst us all, she amongst humanity across time is the favored one of God that she has been chosen for a particular mission. That mission is to bear a child. Yep, not in the way that you think. It's not because Mary and Joseph get together. You see, the angel tells her that the Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, will come among her, and she will find herself pregnant with a child, and not just any child, but a child who we've all been waiting for, waiting for through the millennia over time, that her child will be the one, and that humanity will call this child the Son of God. Mary must have been gritty and resilient and feisty and strong and courageous to receive this kind of word. The next beat, we have a little interlude with a man named Joseph. Hey, Joseph, guess what, buddy? You're never going to believe what's happened here. Joseph, what? Okay, I'm open. I'll go with it. 
And then we hear the story that we began hearing this morning. The first beat is a wild beat that maybe we miss because we don't know exactly the history behind the calling of these Roman censuses. But what we should hear, what we're meant to hear in this wild story is like, <clears throat> okay, Joseph, um, you've got this woman and she is to be your wife and she's pregnant, not in the way that you think, but pregnant with the Holy Spirit of God who has come into her. Oh, and I also have news, like you've got to get up from home. I know you guys love it here in Nazareth. Galilee is a beautiful place. It's a wonderful seaside community, but we need you to go down to Bethlehem because, listen, here's the deal. We're raising your taxes. Not only do you have a child on the way, but you have a bigger tax burden to inherit. And in order to inherit that tax burden, you need to go back to where your people come from. And your people come from Bethlehem, 95 miles away, a place of great significance, a town, the house of David, Beth Beit Lechem, the house of bread, the place where the, the strongest tribe of Israel comes under the most popular king in the history of Israel. Joseph, Mary, it's 95 miles away. We're going to hook you up with a donkey. But Mary, I want you to know, <clears throat> in the last trimester of your last trimester, you're going to need to ride 95 miles on a donkey. And oh, what we also, what you're also going to encounter when you arrive in Bethlehem, because everybody's coming back to get their tax increase notice, there's no room in the inn. There is no available hotel room or guest room or Airbnb or VRBO. You're on your own. This holy family manages to find the worst spot on the planet that any woman wants to give birth. We have this nostalgic scene up here that has grown in its domesticated way to look quaint. But let me assure you, no one other than a cow wants to give birth in a barn. No one. It is a dirty, cold filthy space amongst the animals. And yet, that is what happens to this young woman, Mary. She births a child amidst the dirt and stress of a barn after a crazy, wild, strenuous journey. Couple more beats of the story. The next beat of the story we get is, oh yeah, and people are going to come over too. A little sip and see at the barn after the baby is born. The first group that shows up is another group of people who have been led there by a mystical, cosmic, fiery angel who told them to go find a woman in a barn with a baby and to pay him homage. A group of shepherds, a group of working class folk 
is the first of two constituencies to show up. The next, the welders? No, not the welders. We have the shepherd, the working class folks, and oh yeah, by the way, y'all, there's been this group of people, this other group of people, coming to find this baby. They've been following a star in the sky, bringing gifts. Shepherds and a group of foreign dignitaries, foreign royalty, leaning in and attending this new family in a humble place. Christmas is a wolf, not a Pomeranian. And not one of those cool gray wolves, but one of those super cool big black wolves with yellow eyes that we're so grateful to get a glimpse of in the Lamar Valley in the summertime. Christmas is a wolf, not a Pomeranian. The last beat of this Lucan nativity story, the stakes are raised. The holy family, in a state of complete and utter chaos, after enduring what they have endured, are pushed out of the land that they know, away from the family and connections that they have, into the country of Egypt, where they are in exile because of the threat of death given to their infant son. Christmas is a wolf, not a Pomeranian. Now, don't get me wrong. I love a domesticated Christmas. There is almost nothing better than the 3.30 Charlie Brown chaotic, enduring Christmas pageant with little lambs and little angels and Mary in blue this year Little baby Jesus had a nanny because mom wanted to hold on to him rather than turn him over to a 10-year-old, which was amazing. I love a domesticated Christmas. However, there are some years, church, there are some years when we need that wolfy Christmas where we need some sense that God is not waiting for us to get all our stuff together. Rather, God comes to us in the midst of chaos and crisis in a loving, generous, and bold way. And this year, I believe we need that wolfy Christmas. War in Eastern Europe. War in the Middle East. Saber rattling from Washington, D.C. to Cheyenne to every other state capital. Even coming to our bubble in Teton County. 
I couldn't believe that less than 25% of us would not feel that chaos and crisis around our own living rooms and dinner tables on this very day tomorrow. We need a wolfy Christmas story from time to time. We need to be reassured that we will be met exactly where we find ourselves. Further, church, I believe that in years like this, that story and a deep sense of God come among us amidst the chaos and crisis, that 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 very reality might embolden us in such a way that we would embody the faith with a similar strength and hope as the coming of the Christ child, that we together might spread loving kindness in just such a bold way in contrast to what seems like is the order of the day. Church, we have a mission before us in the midst of a mess. That mission is simple and clear. We spread love wherever we can, no matter the crisis, the chaos, or the circumstance. And seeing as though you and I are here together in this church tonight, then this, this very place is where it starts. Merry Wild Christmas.